Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. What time is that? That's the second time it's gone off. never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks a million for joining us today for second captains at the Irish Times. We're putting this show out a little later than usual because we wanted to hang on for the announcement of the Irish team to face Wales. That's why second captains football is already out there. Hopefully you've listened to that or will do just as soon as you finish up. I'm sure there's nothing, nobody's anything else to do for the day. Mm. Just listen to second don't, captains. Don't be quite so I mean, if they listen to it at any stage, it's fine. It's looking what we did wait around though because the second big rugby story broke today and that is the departure of Rob Penny as Munster coach at the end of the season. We'll have a bit of reaction to both stories from Eddie O'Sullivan today and we'll talk to Jonathan Davies about the Welsh approach to this game and the Six Nations campaign that is to, to well and truly puff those chests out mm. I mean I think there's an element of I don't know Ken is sabre rattling the correct historical phrase but I mean basically we want to get Jonathan Davies on we want him to say something mildly insulting about the Irish nation and uh, basically just trumpet the, the hatred between the two I mean I think I think it's fair to say now that we hate Wales and everything to do with that country, right? No? Disassociate myself from the Welsh, the Welsh bashing here. From, uh, Listen, what's from the Six Nations if you don't engage in a little bit of... Work, we'll check you know, in with Malachy Clerkin in Sochi a little bit later on. Malachy brought us... Do you remember uh, Lord Clifton Rodesley? Malachy brought his name back up in the Irish yep. Times this week. Fourth place in the skeleton back in the Salt Lake City Games. Mm-hmm. A number of years close. ago. There was, actually, it's funny. Uh, there's a quote from Rodesley here saying that when he approached companies in Ireland to try and get some sponsorship because skeleton being an expensive enough sport to be involved in they all the companies just laughed at him and said listen mate you're a lord you've got loads more you should be giving us money is what they said to him ha 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 sent him on his merry there's now a Mexican version of Lord Clifton Rossi again really what's his name Prince Hubertus von Hohenlohe he's Austro-Mexican yeah yeah Mexico Mexico used to be a Habsburg uh, dominion I think didn't it Eventually, they, they sent a guy out, would have been around 1870, I think. Um, one of the sort of crown princes or whatever was given Mexico. And as far as I remember, met a pretty grisly end out there. This prince doesn't seem to know a huge amount about his Mexican background, Ken, but he does know that it's easier to qualify. His Mexican as a, or Austrian background? His Mexican background. He doesn't oh, know much so about. he's actually an Austrian. Oh, he's Alpine. very much Austrian, but it's quite hard to get into that Austrian team these days. He's pretty <laughs> strong at the old winter sports. Mexico, a little easier. But to make up for his not really feeling Mexican, he is dressed in mariachi gear. 
right. There is a picture of Are him. Are you serious? Yeah, Colm O'Keen. Thanks to Colm for tweeting this link to a Deadspin article. Okay. He, uh, not while well, he's on the skeleton, I presume. Well, he's not skeleton. Sorry, he's not skeleton. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. What is he? He's... Uh, I think he's a skier. Well, I think okay. at least this guy's making an effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if only Tory Pena had uh, waved it. Always with the Tory Pena bashing, isn't it? Yeah. Tory Pena. <laughs> We've got a tweet here, Ken, from our old friend Gary Kasparov. He didn't tweet us, but he, he, he okay. tweeted. Yep. I hope the journalist in Sochi complaining about a lack of doorknobs and Wi-Fi pay as much attention to the lack of free, free speech and elections. Yeah, I mean, look, I think he's got a serious point. I think he's got a point there. I mean, there's there's a lot of tweets from the journalists, particularly the American journalists, which makes me think that these people have lived very sheltered lives. You know, I mean, I, how many of these people have actually ever been outside of the United States before? Is it usually, is, is it a thing to advertise your ignorance about the rest of the world by scoffing and sneering at uh, aspects of the world which are different from the United States? Is that is that something that to be proud of now? To well, advertise your own ignorance, innocence and lack of experience in the world? The Olympics has become a, a homogenizing effect on any country that it uh, now visits because it's it's you're not going to see you're not going to China to sample Chinese culture. You're going to Beijing for the Olympics, and you expect everything to be laid out for you as it would be back home. That's kind of the impression I'm getting from the, all of these. Uh, yeah, there's a kind of a, a sense that, it, and in fairness, the events are kind of cookie cutter in that way. You know, you've got a template. You know, what you're supposed to provide and it's always the same wherever it is you, that you go. But you're always going to have regional variations. I mean, there's some guy, Greg Wyshynski. Do you know this guy? No. Greg Wyshynski, who tweets a picture of a toilet with a sign next to it saying, please don't flush toilet paper down the toilet, put it in the bin provided. This has got thousands of retweets. People have asked me what surprised me the most here in Sochi. It's this, without question. It's this, says Greg, who's clearly never been outside of the United States. I mean, have you, have you, have you never seen... I've seen set up like that. I've seen those. Yeah, I mean, what, there's, no, there's, there's nothing surprising about that whatsoever. It tells you that you're in a place. Well, where it is if you're American. It's, it tells that's, you you're in a place the where the sewage system isn't. I'm sometimes confused on airplanes. You know, it, well, in airplanes, there are little signs about what you can and can't do, and where you can put items and when you can't. I, just, I don't know what's going on there. If I try and stay Easy. out of there, if at all, there are people. There are people who are surprised to see that there are packs of stray dogs. Running around the place. Well, there aren't. I mean, this is the thing. The stray dogs apparently are being dealt with. Well, quite. Uh, qu- let's just say quite comprehensively dealt with. In a so in, the story in, in any any East European city, frankly, that I've been to, some more than others, but this is not something to be surprised about. You know, someone who's surprised at that is someone who has not been to Eastern Europe. Certainly, I don't see what relevance it has to the Olympics. You know, what a disgrace the regime is. You know, to me, it, it seems like a, a bit of an opportunity to sort of laugh at foreigners and their silly but hold on, what's poor the story, little country what's the in a way that you're not really allowed dogs, to do. Not that they were being exterminated. Well, not the, the tweets that I've seen of pictures there of... plenty of tweets about... Pictures of dogs. Uh, pictures of dogs. You know, look at these dogs running around. I mean, there, there was another picture of a, of a, like a hotel desk. Um, the reception of a hotel in Sochi has no floor, but it does have this welcoming picture. And it's a picture of Vladimir Putin on the, on the desk, you know, in a frame, a framed picture of... And, you're thinking, well, it is an authoritarian regime you've got there. It's not actually that much of a surprise that a hotel has a picture of the authoritarian. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, it seemed to me a bit of a, there was a bit of like, oh, look at these funny foreigners in their city country going on, which is which is not really, which is the kind of thing that often 
you can't quite get away with it. It's not the 1970s anymore, you know. He comes from Barcelona. It's not a kind of a universal <laughs> just joke that everyone will laugh at now. People will yeah. kind of be embarrassed by that sort of thing now. But but kind of in the guise almost of of pretending that this was in some way a criticism of the, of the regime. One final word on this, though. I think that maybe there is an element of 51 billion uh, is the final bill for this. And maybe... It, it's been seen through that in that we know that maybe 51 billion hasn't been spent exclusively on providing Sochi with the best possible Winter Olympics, that there has been elements of corruption that have been involved right from the moment Sochi got the Olympics. Mm. So maybe it's through that prism that this is happening. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I think, to be honest, yep. I do agree with you in, in large part. We'll talk to Maliki and see if he has any complaints a little bit later on. It sounds like they'll be getting short shrift <laughs> yeah. if he does. How's your hotel and how's the weather? Basically, two questions about US it. Murph is going to talk to us post-Super Bowl. But let's start with the news about Rob Penny today. Munster Rugby, here's a statement. There are a bit of it. Can today confirm that head coach Rob Penny and backs coach Simon Mannix will leave the province at the end of the season? Penny, who initially negotiated a two-year contract with the option for a third year, has opted to decline the extension offer. The terms and conditions of this extension had been agreed by the Munster Professional Games Committee and the IRFU, but Rob has since attracted the interest of another club, and there are terms on offer that are in line there with Rob's long-term needs. Fellow New Zealander and backs coach Simon Mannix, who joined Munster at the same time as Penny, will also leave at the end of the season. So, big news. We are joined by Eddie O'Sullivan to talk about this and about the Irish team, Eddie. But first of all, it seems as though Penny got a longer-term offer elsewhere and that seems to suit him a lot better. Is it understandable that he's left? Well, I'd say, first of all, it's a shock to everybody because I think we all assumed that the deal was done and he was staying on for at least another year. Um, the results this year, Munster, have been excellent. You know, there's always been a bit of over and back about how Munster play, but you can't argue with the results uh, that they've got. Um, you know, into the Heineken quarters, top of the Pro 12. And the players like Rob Penny, he, you know, the, the, he's a very popular coach. So, you know, it is a bit of a bombshell from that perspective. But I suppose maybe it came down to tenure. Um, maybe Munster were offering another year. I don't know. That was what seemed to be mm. uh, his, his extension and his contracts for a year. But he got, um, you know, a longer contract somewhere else. So maybe, you know, I mean, sport is, is unpredictable enough. But if you can get security of tenure, that's often a big factor. So maybe that was the deciding factor. I don't know. We're all speculating. But, um yeah, it's a bit of a shock that he's he's uh, he's moving on. As you said, there has been a bit of over and back with regards to his style of play and how well or otherwise that has been implemented. Certainly the results at Heineken Cup level have been, by and large, excellent. The, uh, I guess the transition that they're supposed to be in at the moment that we keep hearing Munster are in will be affected quite badly by another change of coach or, or will they, this guy, has tried to bring in a certain style of play, try to change quite a lot of things and now they have to start again next season? Well, you know, I think changing coaches every couple of years and, and even shorter is never a good plan in terms of building, you know, an organization. You know, you need stability around the sporting organization. If you look at the American model, they tend to appoint coaches for something five, six years and maybe more if the job is going well. Uh, and even more so at college levels, you know, we, we tend to push more towards the, the soccer model here where managers, everyone has this notion that managers uh, or coaches have a, a shelf life of three or four years and they should move on. Uh, I don't buy into that. <clears throat> so I think it's better if you have somebody who's who's building an organisation and, and, and building a franchise, for want of a better word. Uh, if you have stability in the coaching model, that, that makes a big difference. So I don't think it's the ideal thing for Munster to have Rob Penny move on, move on after two years, and I, I doubt it's exactly what they wanted. But for whatever reason, it's happening now, so they've got to deal with it. But it, it does, I suppose, you know, um, destabilise things a little bit, and probably not the best time of the year for this to break either. 
Now, Paul O'Connell back into the Irish team, available again. Gordon Darcy available again and back in. We've got a centre pairing now of Gordon Darcy and Brian O'Driscoll, which we're very familiar with, up against Jamie Roberts and Scott Williams, who's there starting outside centre at the moment with Jonathan Davies unavailable. I don't know how key, and people always talk about maybe how the packs front up against each other, but midfield is an interesting area in that when we try and compare out halves, it's almost pointless because they don't really play against each other as such, whereas the centres, I guess they do. Uh, would Ireland be edging this? It looks like they're up against a typically uh, abrasive and physical centre partnership from Wales. Yeah, I think we probably would be edging the midfield, even across the 10 12 talking um, axis, I think we have an edge. Um, I think if Jonathan Davies is playing, I think that probably you know swings it back more towards Wales and said that that himself and Roberts are a great combination. But there is, there's no doubt Darcy and Driscoll, and I think sexing onto that gives us an edge in the midfield. Um, it, 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 I, I Warren Gatlin mentioned about you know taking the blueprint from the Northampton game in Dublin mm-hmm. and, and putting that onto the, the Wales team. I have to think it's a bit of a double bluff on his part because Wales have been hugely successful in the World Cup the last two Six Nations Championships, playing an expansive wide game and you're moving the ball around. And the notion of they'll come to Dublin for one game, they're going to stick it up their jersey and play very physical. I don't know. I, I can't see it. No, the weather might force them to do that anyway. That may be just the, the, the no option. But uh, I think if it comes down to that, it suits Ireland. We, I think we edge them in the pack. We certainly can put huge pressure on their lineups. I mean, they're missing um, Luke Chartres, uh, who's, who's a huge probably the one guy in the Six Nations who could mark Devin Toner and um, you know losing uh, uh, um, Ian Evans as well who's, who's six foot eight they're laying out smaller we have more jumpers and I think that certainly uh, would put them under pressure and if it's a, if it's a windy day um, that would even put more pressure on them and the forecast is bad the scrum scenario I think is probably a wash I think we'll be fine the scrum I don't see them dominating us or us dominating them so, you know, I think the weather will be a major factor if this, this storm comes in as projected. And Warren Gatlin may end up playing the way he says he, he's going to play, but I don't know if it's really his plan from the get-go to do that. Do we know how Ireland are going to play? We've seen glimpses of Joe Schmidt's style, but we're still not necessarily sure. I'm sure he's pragmatic enough to take a win whatever way it comes. It might necessarily, uh, particularly with the weather, it might necessarily look like Joe Schmidt's Leinster at this weekend. Well, I think we saw George Smith-Slenson last week against uh, Scotland. You know, if you think of our transition game out of our half is based on contestable uh, up and unders, either from the nine or the ten, and they have to be on the money. And we have some great guys in the air who go and chase those. And even if they don't win them, the breaking ball comes your way. And we did it to Scotland numerous times on, on the weekend. And then when we're in the opposition half, it's just building phase after phase after phase, keeping the pressure on, keeping the football being very precise at the breakdown, and then eventually picking a loose shoulder or, or, or somebody or their line and making a major line break. And once you get the major line break, then you put the score on the board. And we saw them do that to, 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 uh, to, to Scotland, especially in the second half when we had our, actually got our hands on the ball. But against Wales, I don't see that change, and I think George Schmidt will try and do the same thing. Um, but I think Wales will be harder to break down. I think we're going to be a lot more precise. And um, if we're not winning the contestables, we may have to start finding grass in the backfield. And I, we've never tried to do that before under George Schmidt. So, you know, and the weather conditions as well. You know, if you're uh, if you're playing if you're playing with the wind, the contestable is hard to put up because it carries the ball often too far, and and the receiver is under no pressure. So, you know, all those things could come into play on the weekend. Um, certainly, if 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 uh, if it's wet and windy. Do you think we win? I think we will. And Dublin, you know, I think our superior lineout. Uh, at home in Dublin, and if if it's if it's a tight game in the trenches, I back us. I think our pack will win win the collisions. 
But I would worry if that the weather was good and Wales got into that shape to play out with a lot of width. They have a lot of power runners, particularly in their in their in their back line, and they can make line breaks and hurt you. So you know, I would I would give give credit to Wales for that capability of of, of creating a, an open loose game and making line breaks off it. But um, Ireland know that, so you would have to think the homework's been done on that from a defensive point of view. In this case, it's one of balance. I think yeah, if we were going to Cardiff, I wouldn't be so confident, but. I think at home in Dublin, yes, I think we'll get a job done. Sounds good. Eddie, enjoy it. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, Owen. Are you paying too much for your current account? Maybe it's time for a change. At KBC, everyone can bank for just two euros a month. That's the price of a coffee. Just use your KBC debit card for purchases or cash back for free and avoid those annoying ATM charges. Oh, and did we mention you also get free internet and mobile banking? And before you ask, yes, your bank could be charging you for all these. Other fees and charges apply. Visit changeyourbank.ie, call one 800 or pop in for a coffee at any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Two euros a month is based on a quarterly fee of six euros. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Let's get the Welsh view now. We're joined by Jonathan Davies. Jonathan, it's good to talk to you before we get started. I'm just going to play you a clip from the show on Monday, from our show on Monday. Shane Horgan and Dennis Hickey were speaking about the Welsh confidence at the moment. It certainly seems like the Welsh players and the Welsh team have, uh, it seems as though it's a policy almost, of talking themselves up coming into this season's Six Nations campaign. That's continued into the build-up to the Ireland game. But this is the little bit of the chat we have with Shane and Dennis on Monday. Part of their preparation is not just on field, it's this kind of talk themselves up because they actually need that kind of bigging up. And, uh, you know, I mentioned to you beforehand, Jamie Roberts been interviewed after the game against Italy. He didn't mention Italy once, you know, he didn't say, you know, what about the game? He didn't say, he didn't even give the, 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 the platitude, well, no, to be fair play to Italy, they got stuck into us. It's like they weren't even playing. Right. You know, it was all about us, Wales, 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 and that's, that's just what they need. And it's, you know, it kind of bristles the Irish mentality because it's not the way Ireland is. We, you know, Ireland, Irish people don't go around talking about how great they are in the lead-up to a match uh, or in the lead-up to anything, really. Um, but the Welsh, that's that's what they need to do. And a lot of it comes from the fact that they're 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 carrying a lot of non-performances into the Six Nations. You'd hope, Shane, they're setting themselves up for a fall. But in fairness, they have backed it up over the last couple of years for the most part. Yeah, I don't think that sets them up for a fall. I think it's integral to yeah. them performing well, actually. Yeah, I think it's, I agree. it's almost the opposite. Um, I think if Ireland were to go like that, I would say, it yeah, I agree with you. I'd say, yeah, they're setting themselves up for a fall. It doesn't work well with our um, mentality. It doesn't actually work well to get you know crowd behind us. It's not what people like or as individuals or almost as, as a collective nation. But Wales, I think it's important for them that they do it. And that's why... You know, I wouldn't. There's lots of ga- uh, lots of um, about Gaddy's coaching that I, I don't think is is very good. You know, as a technical coach, I, I think he's only okay. Um, but I think he has got the nail on the head when it comes to the psyche of these uh, Welsh players. I don't know what you think of those comments, Jonathan. But uh, do you be- agree that the Welsh mindset is different from what Irish players are comfortable with? There's a part of the Welsh psyche that maybe reacts well to the pressure they put on themselves by talking about what they can go and do. I think there's a bit, there's a lot of confidence. Um, there, uh, but not arrogance. That's what I hope. Anyway, I don't think there's an arrogance there. You know, and what they say is true. You know, they've gone into the la- they've won the championship the last two years. The majority of the Welsh team played in the Lions. So, um, yeah, why shouldn't they have that confidence going into games? You know, thinking that they can win. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as I don't think it's, a, it's been an arrogance. 
um, you know, maybe Ireland should have a little bit more confidence in their ability. If they were that confident against the All Blacks, they would have won it. That's the simple thing about it. Sometimes, you know, when the game's in your grasp to win it, you have to have that confidence to go ahead and win it and take it because, you know, no one else is going to do it for you. So that is a question of, you know, of confidence and, and actually putting the game to bed. And um, I just feel that, for me, um, they are so close, these two sides. Um, you know, there's there, there's nothing really in it. Uh, the World Cup of Wales kind of really smashed them then, but... You know, every game has been close, whether it's in Cardiff or whether it's in, in, in Dublin. So, for me, it's who turns up on the day and uh, you know and, and does the job. And if the confidence in the camp prior to that game is of benefit, well, you know, why not do it? Yeah, it's interesting because we've been spending the last few months trying to work out how we failed to finish that job off against New Zealand. I know that Joe Schmidt has pointed to seven system errors in the course of, the, of trying to defend that last set of plays, that uh, that last number of phases from New Zealand, but it just comes down to belief and confidence. You think when it come, when, when it's Ireland, New it's Zealand, a, it's a lot to do with it because sometimes you're going against New Zealand, and um, you know, do you honestly believe you can win? And when you're in that position, you know, you you know, maybe you should grasp the game, and it's a lack of that confidence and arrogance, uh, not arrogance, confidence that maybe um, you know is is the failing of the Northern Hemisphere side because you know if you look at any, if you look at Australia or uh, New Zealand or um, South Africa in that position against any other side, they would have, they would have closed that game down. Obviously, everyone points at the Johnny Sexton miss, and it's a, it's a kick that Johnny knows he should have kicked, but you're tired in the game, there's a lot of pressure on it, you push it a little bit, and that's that. And then you're playing against the best team in the world where you know the last phase, the last um, play, with how many phases they went through to keep the ball you know, in contact, to take the contact, to make the right decisions was, was absolutely breathtaking. So they had their opportunity. They didn't take it. New Zealand had an opportunity. They took it. And that's the difference. I do feel that, you know, you look at stats on the weekend about Scotland and Ireland and the stats half time was 60% territory in possession. But the, the difference was Ireland picked the tempo of the game up and were clinical when their chances came and Scotland couldn't do that. So, I think that's going to be the same this this weekend. There's going to be a massive, you know, forward battle, very very confrontational. Um, you know, will they miss Sean O'Brien? Yes, I think they will because they missed it last week. Um, you know, will Warburton get the upper hand over Henry or the back row? That's you know that'll be. We have to wait and see what happens. It'll come down. But for me, it's a question of. You know who plays well and who does the basics well on the day. You know will win because there is hardly any difference between these two sides. All right, Jonathan. Listen, enjoy the game. Thank you. Cheers, pleasure. Thanks. Have we got a conclusion, Murph? Do the Welsh wear their confidence a little? It seems like Jonathan was at pains to point out that they're not being arrogant. They're they yeah. are confident. Sure, no reason why they shouldn't be confident. They have been champions for the last couple of seasons. It's just it's that's true. It's just we're not used to sports teams coming out and wearing their mm. confidence as a badge of honour. Yeah. I do actually think that Shane and Dennis were right. Mm-hmm. And I also think that maybe Jonathan Davies doesn't feel like he's comfortable admitting that. But it's I, I think it is obvious, looking at that Welsh team, that they do react well. I mean, when they're on a roll, when they'd won the three games, say, last year after we had beaten them, and England were coming to Cardiff for you know what was supposed to be like you know the deciding game of the championship. I mean, I think you were looking at that Welsh team thinking, actually, they're not going to get beaten today. After about 10 minutes, you could just see that their like, confidence is flowing through them and that they don't, they don't worry about when it's going to end. They're like, 
they immediately think only of the last couple of games. God, we're brilliant. Let's just go out and do it again. And then you kind of saw as well that they lost, didn't they lose eight internationals on the bounce? That yep. when, they're, when they're stuck in a rut, it's very hard for them to get out of it. And then, but then once they get on a roll... Uh, it's not just... Uh, I suppose there are two things there. What you're talking about really is dealing with expectation. Mm. Uh, what I'm talking about is dealing with the expectation, but also adding to that expectation by telling everyone that you should, by rights, win this Six Nations. That's definitely something yeah. that... It, and they're certainly the only more time, comfortable at it than we are. Yeah, the only time we ever really did that was before the 2007 World Cup. And we'll never, yes. ever do it again in any sport Time ever. now for US Sports. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, I can only assume that KNBR has been awash with love for the Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks this week. <laughs> ah, I'm laughing at that statement right there. Ah, come uh, how, on. About, how about um, um, deeply, deeply difficult to admit grudging admiration <laughs> for the Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks, who truly truly left no doubt as to who was the best team in the NFL. And guys, actually, the biggest story to come out of it from uh, San Francisco's perspective and most of the NFL's perspective was that it seems there's no question who the two best teams were. And they played in Seattle two weeks ago, the 49ers and the Seahawks, because as great as Denver's season was, it was exposed against a great defense. They hadn't gone against uh, truly great defense like the 49ers have, like the Carolina Panthers have, and like, of course, the Seattle Seahawks have. And the other part would be where that defense ranks. I mean, you know, we, we start now to enter into the conversation of all-time single-season greatest defenses. And, of course, the holy grail is the uh, 1985 Chicago Bears. But in, in some ways, you can make very fair comparisons between the 2013 Seahawks and the 85 Bears. This is their time, boys. Their parade is Wednesday in Seattle, a beautiful city. I love it very much. And on some level, I think I told you guys this, little tiny 1% of my heart says they should really enjoy the moment. This is their, this is their 1981 49ers. This is their 2010 San Francisco Giants. Or for you guys, this would be uh, the 19, what, 1993 Claire Hurling team? I'm trying to go Claire. Uh, 90, 95, Brian. 95 so Claire Hurling team. I was close. I was yeah. close. Uh, but you, you, the, the sentiment is the same. There was a comment at one point. It might have even been in the first quarter, certainly early enough on in the game when it was still there for the winning, but Broncos are already struggling. And one of the pundits on Sky Sports was talking about Peyton Manning and the amount of pressure he was under. And they said, well, you, Peyton Manning, great quarterback, but pressure is his kryptonite. Uh, now, that seems like not a great weakness to have if you're put under pressure. That's when you fall apart. That's it's kind of part of the game. Yeah, really, the thing about it? kryptonite, it was, it's hard enough to get your hands on it, but it's not that hard to put some pressure on a quarterback. Yeah, well, you can you can use use that word pressure dually. I mean, there's the physical pressure that you, you're talking about. Then there's the mental pressure that will always haunt Peyton Manning's playoff record. And you know that word legacy that got tossed around so much. I mean, what is a legacy? I don't. You know, it's up to the individual 
to determine how you view Peyton Manning's legacy. And his legacy won't be done until he's retired, by the way. He says he's coming back next year. But the, the dual pressure, yeah, if you, put, if you put heat on him, he will, like a lot of quarterbacks have shown, any quarterback will, will hate pressure. I mean, it's just a matter of can you escape it. Tom Brady has always been viewed as a guy, even though he's won three Super Bowls and he's been to five and he's married to Giselle and he dresses fabulously, he's a guy that's believed that if you put pressure on him, he will struggle. I mean, yeah, every, almost every single quarterback will crumble in the face of pressure. The question is, can you escape it? And that's what Russell Wilson can do, a guy we haven't even mentioned who's sort of the forgotten man, a second-year quarterback. You guys watch him run and run and run behind the line of scrimmage. And we were talking to Herm Edwards of ESPN just here this week on the show, and he was saying it's not just running. It's also knowing when to end the journey, when to throw the pass, not to just run around crazy. And you saw Russell Wilson do that too. So he had those skills to be able to escape pressure. As far as the mental pressure on Peyton Manning, yeah, he. Get, I mean, I said this to you guys last week, I think. I think he gets tight in big games. I don't think there's any denying it. And his record shows it. What, 11 wins, 12 losses, what, eight first-round exits, is it, or five of them at home in the playoffs? I mean, that's just – there's a, just a body of evidence that he turns into a different quarterback in the playoffs, and, and that's just something he's going to have to deal with. And as far as pressure affecting other quarterbacks, too – the New York Giants beat Peyton, uh, Tom Brady twice in Super Bowls, and they did it specifically because of their four-man pass rush put heat on Tom Brady. So that's why, guys, pass rush, you know, we always talk about quarterbacks are the most important things in the, in the NFL, and I would say it, that's true, but the second most important thing is a pass rusher. A pass rusher can take you a long way, as the 49ers knew, with the great Charles Haley, who went from the 49ers to the Cowboys and brought Super Bowls with him. So when you guys are building, when you guys eventually own your NFL franchise, as I know you will, when the Roonies hand off the Steelers to you, sure. uh, you guys draft a quarterback and a pass rusher. That's where you go, one, two. How's that? I and you're our GM, Brian. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Unpaid GM, but uh, we will take you mm-hmm. on board in that capacity. Brian, the, the graphic popped up quite early on in the game, contrasting the salary being earned by Peyton Manning and the winning quarterback, Russell Wilson, who I hate using the term only when you're talking about almost $700,000 a year, but compared to every other major quarterback in the game, it seems I know he's only in his second year, but it seems like uh, maybe his agent could have done a little bit of better better work in the offseason because this guy, even before the season started, was seen as like um, a guy who could turn into one of the top guys. Well, yeah, I mean, again, only, of course, all sports salaries are relative. But, yes, by sports salary standards, he was dramatically underpaid. But this is where the system works in Seattle's favor and why people think Seattle is definitely going to be right back on the doorstep next year. Because, guys, a couple things that work. One, the salary cap. You can only pay a certain amount of players, certain amount of money to your players. There is a limit to how much you can pay them. Two, the way contracts are structured when you're drafted is you are slotted into a salary. So Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round, meaning he wasn't going to get big money, and he signed a contract that lasted four years. He's not allowed to renegotiate his contract until he's played four years in the NFL. So he can't do anything about it. He can't. He's, he's, he's supposed to take his salary and be happy with it. Now the Seahawks are just laughing to the bank. I mean, they are right now, it's very, very, very rare that you can get a quarterback in his second year. I mean, I think the only names that Ben Roethlisberger, Kurt Warner, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson are the only four quarterbacks in the history of the NFL 
to win a Super Bowl in their second year starting. So it's very unusual to have that, but it's a fantastic deal for the Seahawks. And they have him again next year at a very cheap price. He can't begin to renegotiate until he enters his fourth year, which is when the team might want to take the strategy of tearing up his fourth year and signing him to a long-term deal that they think would be beneficial to them down the road. But yeah, uh, right now, and that's what Colin Kaepernick's facing. He's played three years. He has a fourth-year contract that is relatively small, something like seven hundred, eight hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand. The Forty Niners, though, might want to be proactive, tear up that fourth year, and sign him to a long-term deal that would be salary cap friendly. We're getting really into the business of it here, mm. but yeah, Russell Wilson can't do anything about it, guys. That's the bottom line. He's got to take his salary and be happy with it, and then go on David Letterman and enjoy that, and then sit next to Jay Z and Beyonce at a Brooklyn Nets game, which is what he did, which is what you do now to announce yourself as uh, American pop culture royalty. You hang with Jay-Z and Beyonce. Yeah, I mean, I, I just find it amazing, though, that this that he's stuck in, on that, even though he's, you know, as you say now, r- uh, part of the American royalty, effectively, um, and that he played so well this year. And there's, But there's also the other Seahawks as well, who weren't first-round draft choices, who were picked up for a song, uh, relatively speaking, and... Um, is that team going to break up because of the fact that these guys aren't getting paid and those who are looking to renegotiate are really going to try and push the Seahawks massively to try and get that big money? Yeah, that's exactly the question that faces any team that finds success in the salary cap era is can you keep them together? And often the answer is no. And Exhibit A is last year's Baltimore Ravens, uh, who won the Super Bowl against my 49ers. Ouch. And Joe Flacco, the quarterback, turned it into a $20 million a year contract. And they, because they signed that $20 million a year contract, they weren't able to keep the team together. For example, they lost wide receiver Anquan Bolden. They couldn't afford him, so they traded him to the 49ers. And look, Anquan Bolden caught a touchdown in the NFC Championship for the 49ers. So that's an example right in your face of a team that could not stay together. However, Seattle is so young one of the four youngest teams in the history of 48 Super Bowls to ever win a Super Bowl. So they are so young, many of their guys are still under that four-year contract window. And that's stuff that's negotiated by the players and the owners. That's the union contract mandated that you cannot be a free agent until four years of service. And a lot of those guys are under four years of service, which is why Seattle should be right back in it next year. And if they craftily sign the right guys and negotiate, some give some guys longer-term deals where they'll pay them maybe a little bit less than they get on the free agent market but give them longer-term security, they can, <clears throat> they can keep the general nucleus of this team together. Now, they, can they keep them all together like the 80s Niners or the 70s Steelers who were the other young teams that launched dynasties? No, they can't, which is why, guys, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's Patriots stand out as this incredible run. For them to go to five Super Bowls and win three in the salary cap era is nothing short of remarkable and almost impossible for the Seahawks to try to match that. But that is something that the Patriots were able to do by, and if you guys study the Patriots, they've done it with mixed matched parts all along. There's not 10 guys they kept together all along. It's basically just been Brady and Belichick all along. So the Seahawks are going to have Russell Wilson next year, and they're going to have Richard Sherman next year, and they're going to have Marshawn Lynch next year. But after next year, they're going to have to start uh, doing a little bit of that crafty stuff, and that's where John Schneider has to flex his GM wares. But right now, the system favors them. They are set up again. Brian, when we spoke to you this time last week, you were still on Radio Row. I think you had another day or two of broadcasting to go, and you had uh, a lot of 
players hawking their wares around the place, the likes of, I think, anything from computer games to Subway sandwiches, all these kind of things. You got to, ch- to chat to Colin Kaepernick after we spoke to you, probably only a few hours after we talked to you last. How was Cap? That was a big deal because, you know, we've talked about his weird personality during the year where he was just almost like a prisoner, like a guy held hostage when he had to talk to the media, just given his name, rank, and serial number, you know? And it was like people were like, what is up with this guy? And a lot of people wrote him off as a surly, petulant, you know, unappreciative youngster. But people who've known him all his life because he's from California, and we have a lot of people in our listenership, Turlock, California, uh, which is a, a, a rural town outside of San Francisco, they all said, are you kidding me? He's one of the nicest kids around. He's a great student. He does all this charity work, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, Colin's a great guy. So there was this dichotomy between the reputation of those who knew him and his media personality. And then he turns up on Radio Row, and he's the most glib, charming guy you could imagine. Uh, smiling, laughing, perspective, uh, answered any question he wanted, stayed as long as we wanted him to stay. So I said to him, what, what's the deal? I mean, why is what, what's with this guy versus the guy in the middle of the year? And he said, and you can take issue with this however you want, he said, during the year I view those interviews every week as a chance for the other team to find something out about my team, so I try to give them as little as possible. Whether or not that's an overstatement, you know, that, that he has to be so curt during those weeks. Guys, for years have charmed the media without saying anything. And he said, well, why would I waste your guys' time? If I'm going to say nothing, why shouldn't I just do it in 10 words instead of 100 words? He said, it's a waste of everybody's time. I mean, in some ways it's logical. In other ways, it's just not very friendly. So it kind of angered the local media who'd put their work in every week that he was so terse with them, and then he came out and did this national media run. He went on ESPN, Mike and Mike. He went on. He did an interview with the Wall Street Journal. He did a podcast with Bill Simmons on ESPN.com, Grantland. He stopped by KMBR and did 20 minutes with us. So it was great. I mean, we 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 reaped the the benefits, uh, but it is remains sort of a, an unusual dichotomy because Russell Wilson, by contrast has proven himself to be very conversational, very approachable any day of the year, whereas Kaepernick seems to have picked and choose his time. So he, he made some enemies. We were delighted to have him, and I remain, uh, I remain at heart a fan of, this, of, of who he is. I like his whole story. I like his whole uh, demeanor, his attitude, and I think he's a hell of an athlete who's only going to get better. And uh, he you know, addressed that contract issue with us, saying, I'm going to have to remember that as much money as I want – I have to remember that it takes 53 guys. We have to re-sign Anquan Bolden. We have to re-sign Dante Whitner. So he showed a little bit of a team mentality when it came to his contract situation. That was one of the many nuggets he joined us. Plus, guys, he was dressed fabulously in a long gray infinity scarf that was like the craziest thing you'd ever seen. I never would have worn it, and my life depended on it. But GQ named him the most stylish quarterback in the NFL. And he said to me, he said, it's just about confidence, man. You've got to walk into the room like you're the man, and it's all good from there. I said, Colin, I've never walked into a room thinking I'm the man once in my entire life. Huh? He God. goes, you've got to get that attitude, guys. It's exactly like Owen McDevitt's attitude. It's, it's actually eerie. <laughs> I can't believe the cap took his hey, uh, catchphrase. When you guys wrap up the podcast and head out to the pub, I want you guys to watch Owen walk in like he's the man. Yeah, in fact, right? when I saw Joe Namath's jacket at the Super Bowl, I thought, I've got one of those knocking around. <laughs> yeah, Brian, just tell us last that your tough life continues. Where are you speaking to us from today? Uh, guys, I am gazing out at the azure waters of Carmel Bay and Stillwater Cove, an inlet from the Pacific Ocean, as I come to you live from Pebble Beach, California. Don't you know? Uh, yes, yeah, straight from New York City 
to one of the most beautiful places in the world, Pebble Beach. And hey, guys, you know who uh, has the media feeding from his palm is your man Graham McDowell. He's here. And uh, he won, won his U.S. The, Open, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, won the U.S. Open here. And he's, of course, as you guys know, I'm sure you've had him on, a very charming Lovely guy. guy and, yeah. yeah, and he's winning his winning personality. He's got the Russell Wilson personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, his winning personality has been uh, charming the media here this week. He's one of the, the few big they, – they get some big names, not all big names. We have Phil Mickelson. Dustin Johnson, but it's all about the celebrities that come out. You know, Wayne Gretzky, the great hockey star, the great one is playing because his daughter is dating Dustin Johnson. We have a lot of quarterbacks here, guys. We have um, Tom Brady is here. We have Aaron Rodgers here. We have Alex Smith here. How about ah. that? Getting warm love from the NorCal crowd. And you know who committed to this thing just yesterday? Peyton Manning. Wow. Peyton Manning. And every stun, they thought he would go into a cave. And he said, nah. He said, I need some pebble. And it's, of course, they talk, always talk up the charity aspect. He said, if, 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 you know, if the, some charities get some money and I can get out and play pebble. So Peyton's going to get, I don't know, interesting reception, probably very sympathetic from the crowd because he, he engenders that kind of feelings in most people. So Peyton Manning going to uh, tee it up. So a lot, of, a lot of star quarterbacks here this week as they do the Celebrity Golf uh, Tournament. Brian, put an arm around Peyton for us, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care. <laughs> Give him a hug from Ireland, boys. All right. That's a fascinating dynamic, I have to say, between quarterback and rest of team. Mm. Colin Kaepernick, his market value is more than what he's getting paid at the moment. And maybe in a year or two, he might decide that he wants to avail of that market value. But right now, he wants to win a Super Bowl, Murph. So unlike Joe Flacco, he's ready to accept a little bit less money, as Russell Wilson seems to be, if he can surround himself with better players. That's... One of the th- one of the aspects of a salary cap that you don't necessarily consider is well maybe your top guy might accept a little bit less money if he can surround himself with better players. Yeah, it's I think it's it's very interesting because Kobe Bryant got huge stick from the LA Lakers this year. It's, it's exactly the same in, in basketball. He took a big contract, and everyone was kind of saying, "Kobe, like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you you got to surround yourself with the best, you know." And Kobe's like, "Well, yeah, got to keep getting them checks though." Uh, so he, he he took the decision, and I mean, in fairness. The the argument there is pretty cut and dried, actually, because if the Lakers don't have Kobe Bryant, they don't sell out the arena. Mm-hmm. He's worth way more than they're paying him to the to the organization. But when it comes to quarterbacks, I think if you haven't won a Super Bowl like Colin Kaepernick, then I think you might be a lot more inclined to say, for the good of the team, I'm going to take less money, let's win a Super Bowl. If you're Joe Flacco, who won the Super Bowl last year, uh, okay. you know, you're kind of looking around thinking, well, we kind of already have won a Super Bowl. I'm a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Let's see those checks. Wayne Rooney is forever talking about how, how he needs Manchester United to show the ambition that he showed. Well, he talked about that at least once. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he might be willing to give up maybe half a salary and give that to some good players who might come in and show the ambition that he talks about? No. Um, no, I don't. But uh, obviously well, it's, it's, a completely different, yeah. it's a completely different situation. You know, there is no limit, theoretically. No, this is what I mean. The, I'm talking about if, there was, like, if a salary cap was... Um, no, I don't, I don't think he would. I mean, it does change the emphasis in, in an interesting way, putting it on the, the player suddenly to show a bit of mm. patriotism for the team, you know, whatever you call that emotion. Yeah. Um, well, Tom Brady took it to extreme levels in that if he was doing an ad campaign at the very height of his power, he'd get his offensive linemen into the... Jobs for the boys. Yeah, into the ad to spread the wealth around because he knows, well, you know, he ta- he says... He'd be nothing without his offensive linemen. It's the also. opposite of the David Beckham approach, who brings all the boys out for dinner and then makes them pay. pay yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess with Brady, I mean, I don't know what his story was with his salary, vis-a-vis the salary cap and so on, but he was clearly making a lot of money 
in his own mm. right, which I assume isn't affected by any salary cap. And maybe it's a bit easier to to sort of take one for the team mm. if you know that by virtue of your position as being, as being the quarterback of the best team, you're going to actually make a whole lot more money again. I, this actually depressed me talking about this. Really? <laughs> just, <laughs> just talking about some really successful guy in America making a ton of money. I, I'm done. <laughs> for the first time during these Winter Olympics let's get over to the press area in Sochi where Maliki Clerken is covering the games for the Irish Times Maliki your first impressions please um, they're very good so far I've uh, no complaints nothing uh, I've heard horror stories all over the place from people uh, having trouble getting into hotel rooms or getting in and finding workers sleeping in them and all that sort of stuff my I was spared all of that. My uh, my journey here couldn't have been uh, more slick or, or uh, uh, worthwhile for me. Christine Brennan, the American journalist, made a point today that maybe the complaints, and they are numerous if people want to look them up on social media or any type of media from journalists and spectators there about hotels not being finished and Wi-Fi not working, these kind of things, that maybe those complaints are deflecting somewhat from the bigger questions that everybody everybody should be asking up there. Are those questions being asked? Are people ta- are journalists talking security, talking homophobia, those kind of things? That kind of stuff is definitely going on. I mean, I've got to say, if I was uh, part of the Olympic organizing committee, the one set of hotels that I would have made sure were built were the ones that CNN and ESPN were staying in. Um, those those people tend to have a lot of Twitter followers. So if you annoy them, what are you saying about What are you saying about our uh, beloved employers here at the Irish Times, Malky? That's, they've <laughs> got to be up there too, surely. Yeah, I'm not sure we really uh, move the needle on the in the Winter Olympics. Um, organizing committee but the rest of the stuff is is absolutely coming up of course it is um ban ki-moon gave a, a keynote speech there this afternoon to the ioc delegates uh and the big headline that came out of it was he was very forceful on how we have to treat gay and lesbian people all across the world and how uh you know he never really never mentioned sort of Russia's laws by name but everybody knew what he was talking about the subtext was pretty clear um security wise i mean the security is enormous i mean it's massive uh, everywhere you go there are every last patch of land in the place is guarded uh, or patrolled and um you know you have to go through security four or five times a day uh, if you want to move around at all. More so, Malachi, than, than, for instance, in London. Uh, I remember London Olympics, there was a lot of security. Or Beijing, I would imagine there was a fair bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it was... A <laughs> Funny, this morning on my way uh, up the mountain, uh, I went through uh, one set of um, security machines down in the main railway station in Sochi. And... Uh, you know, if you travel enough and you go through enough airports and all of that, you know, you're, you you work out your routine for getting through these things. You take out your laptop, you take off your coat, you get in, show them your shoes, you do all that sort of stuff. And I, so I thought I was pretty, pretty okay. And I got through and uh, the guy uh, came over with my bag and said, uh, no, no, open pocket. And I opened the pocket and he took out an apple I had and said, niet, niet apple. <laughs> 
So uh, I kind of figured, oh man, that's going deep. You know, you're really, you're not allowed an apple. And I, I was saying, well, will you at least eat it? And he threw it into the bin uh, as, as if it had offended his very nature. Well, maybe you know they need to make a bit of money back on the on the catering uh, because apparently this thing has cost quite a lot of money to put on. So I wonder, yeah. have you seen? Uh, I mean, what have you seen so far? That's uh, that says to you fifty billion dollars. Uh, do, do you think this has been fifty or fifty-one billion dollars well spent? Is is the evidence all around you? Well, the the only evidence I've seen so far. I mean, I, I the, the I've been to one uh, one game site today where uh, the men's downhill will be on Sunday and where the snowboarding was this morning, and and it's pretty spectacular. But uh, the. The biggest amount of spending that I saw uh, was on the train that I took from Sochi up the mountains, uh, which is part of the uh, when you uh, I know you covered it on the on the show a couple of months ago when you talked about this eight billion dollar road. Well, the road includes this light rail system that they built that uh, bored through the mountain to try to get it up here, um, and it's you know. It's it's no better a train than you would see, you know, like the Docklands Light Rail in London or anything like that. But the amount of uh, wasteland that it has gone through to get from Sochi up to the mountains is uh, is extraordinary. I mean, it, it's it's kind of insane that the that the Olympics are here. Uh, Sorry, can, when you say wasteland, what do you mean? Well, you know, it's just um, kind of barren landscape. Uh, with you know um, piles of dirt on the side, where where you know it it it's not in any way sophisticated. You can see that they've piled this dirt to the side and put a, a railway line and a road, a two-way road through it, um, and tunnels through uh, five or six different mountain passes uh, to get up to the to the top. Where you know there there is not a, it's it's not a likely looking Olympic. Um, venue, um, but that was what they spent the money on. The money was spent on on the nine billion it took to build this railway line and this road. Maliki, on the issue of the attitudes towards homosexuality, I'm I guess I'm asking you to predict something here, which I, I'm loath to do anyway. But I'm just wondering, do you think there will be a moment or or any sort of point where cultural attitudes towards this issue? collide in any sort of public way because I see even today uh, you mentioned Ban Ki-moon the UN Secretary General he's saying we must all raise our voices against attacks on gays and lesbians mm. the Russian Deputy Prime Minister today echoed something that Putin said a couple of weeks ago he says that everybody has the right to understand their own sexual acts but please don't touch the kids yes. <laughs> so it's unbelievable it is yeah it is incredible that they they draw this line um between what people do and the li- the line to kids i mean it's and it's the kids that they always bring up i say they i, I mean i talk you're talking here about politicians who have spoken out um you're right on i don't know how to predict this you know um i know there are certainly uh, a number of gay athletes taking part um, there, uh, some of them signed that athlete's uh, declaration last week uh, that our own Kieran O'Leonard put his name to as well that, um, the, that they would be competing in the games and you know there, is, there are a lot of TV cameras there's a lot of press there's a, a whole world of media looking out for even the tiniest sliver of uh, some sort of controversy. So I'd say the only prediction I can make is that if there is any 
you know, any sort of statement made or any any even tiny, um, even if it's like somebody wearing a ribbon or something like that, that will make its way to the press and it will make its way worldwide and whoever does it will be known worldwide for whenever they do it. Yeah, just lastly, we read with interest your piece with Clifton Rottersley, Lord Clifton Rottersley this week in the paper. Is there going to be an Irish version of that this time around? Yeah, I mean, um, I saw... (laughs) I saw uh, a press release going around there about an hour ago uh, saying that after Seamus O'Connor's sensational start this morning, uh, the odds of, a, of an Irish medal have been slashed. Now, I know that bookies always put out their own uh, their own PR to try and get their name around, but, uh, I mean, Seamus O'Connor did not have a sensational start this morning. He fell twice in his, in his runs, uh, and he's back for a semi-final on on. Saturday, only because everybody that entered gets through to the semi-final if they don't get through the first day. So I would be very surprised if there was a a Clifton Rotsley this year. But mind you, everybody was very surprised the first time. True enough. Maliki, listen, uh, enjoy it, and thanks very much for talking to us. Cheers, lads. And we'll check in, I'm sure, with Maliki over the course of the next couple of weeks. Good to hear that he wasn't complaining in line with the mm. rest of... Uh, the, not every journalist over Classic there is Classic Irish tradition. Yeah. The hotel is grand. Ah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll Nothing's mudd- working. We'll muddle on, we'll muddle on. We tweeted a link to a Grantland article uh, yesterday in which Grantland reproduced a piece by George Plimpton from the Moscow Games in 1980, which was absolutely fascinating. He went over there in part because the American team didn't go over there. You'll remember that was the year that they decided to boycott the games in the Soviet Union. But some of the, the, the boycott mightn't exist these days, but some of the other themes are pretty similar, Ken, in terms of the security and the distrust of the travelling Americans. The, the travelling Americans distrusted what they were um, greeted yeah. with over there. <clears throat> yeah, just a, a very quick uh, thing. Just, you know, Obviously, this is a different time. This is during the Cold War, some element of... of thaw at that stage, I suppose, by 19, although they were in mid-boycott, so not that much of a thaw. Um, and he's talking about the sense that you have as an American walking around of, you know, you're obviously looking everywhere for the KGB. A sense of this affects everyone who comes to the Soviet Union, a pervading feeling that one is playing a real-life role in a spy drama. Uh, so paranoid does the average tourist become, so substantial is the American ego that it comes not only as a surprise, but something of a disappointment when nothing happens. Basically, he talks about a friend who, a policeman, sort of taps on the shoulder and he turns around and he thinks, oh, this is it. And the policeman hands him something that he's dropped out of his pocket just down the road. Disappointing. But it was very funny, actually, that I saw um, a journalist with CNN breathlessly reporting last, last night that his, his phone and his computer had been hacked within hours of going to Russia. You by, know? The, by the Americans? No, no. Like, see, this is it. No, no. By... by uh, whoever hacked, the dark yeah, whoever did it. Dark forces at work yeah. uh, in Russia had hacked his phone and his uh, computer. Obviously, of course, that would never have happened in America. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't... Uh, I mean, it's, it's unthinkable oh, really? that that would happen, uh, particularly, you know, by Americans themselves. I mean, that's just... Yeah, I mean, it's a... Yeah, realm that, what, of what science Clinton fiction. What talking about there, I mean, I think it's the same thing that you can see in all these messages about the hotels and so on, this sort of priming, you know, the sense that people turn up expecting to see, expecting certain things and, and are kind of oversensitive to everything which kind of seems to fit in with the with the pre-existing pattern of what they're expecting to find. You know what I mean? So um, 
Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a powerful it's a powerful kind of force. What can you do about it? But read the Plimpton article is something that we would suggest doing. The, the link yeah, is up there. It's long to It's like you say, you know, the, it, it wouldn't happen in America. You know what I mean? At, at the moment, there's this big emphasis on um, on the homophobic uh, statements of Russian politicians, mm-hmm. and, and rightly so. But you know, I'd love to think that the same um, journalists uh, were back home in America. Uh, and we're equally outraged about, you know, homophobic statements made by, you know, Rick Santorum. I mean, he's clearly not really a major political figure anymore. But only recently, he was he was one of he was down to the last handful of guys who could become the president. Mm. He said some unbelievable and extrapolating things. from that uh, assumptions about the entire country that he could have been leading uh, three or four months down the line from when he said that. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that you can you can say about a country in which that type of rhetoric like you like you're seeing in Russia now with this uh, as Malachi mentioned there as you asked him about you know the deputy prime minister saying oh just don't touch the kids mm. you know where you're getting this kind of rhetoric what well, it's an infallible sign that there's there's trouble in the country there's some kind of trouble because the reason the politicians are bringing this up which is an irrelevant issue it has nothing to do with anything it doesn't affect anything uh, in in any it's to it's to distract attention from more important problems. I mean, but this, this, the same thing happens wherever there are politicians. There's a famous line about Nixon faced with inflation, he would oppose abortion. You know, uh, the unemployment is, is going through the roof. Well, you know, did you realize that marijuana is like being... Flag burning. So, you know, so there would always be this uh, this kind of uh, distraction of... that. That's the only reason, really, to bring up a social issue like this. Uh, and it tells you if that kind of thing is, is, is becoming a big deal in Russian politics at the moment, then they must be worried about something else. Second captain's football is already out today, in which you'll hear that Gabriele Marcotti likes Miami a lot more than he likes Dubai, if he was choosing a place to live. So Marcotti's going to sign up to the David Beckham project over there. Have a listen to that. We will have our next shows out for you on Monday or Tuesday. Programmes have now switched to Monday, nice and early in the day as well, so we get all the reaction in there from the weekend sport. Another pretty good weekend coming up. In the meantime, you can email us secondcaptains at irishtimes.com I finally remember the name of our, nice our email address Real good. So you can also follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains thanks Kieran. thanks Owen thanks Ken thanks Kieran. thanks Owen thanks guys thanks very much for listening goodbye what is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home they never go home they never go home those, those, those boys